Hello, I'm Banning Air, and you're listening to Season 8 of the Afropop Close-Up Podcast, where we go beyond the music into politics, religion, history, and culture. In this episode, we hear the vibrant sounds and stories of Trinidadian Carnival through a suite of music composed by trumpeter Etienne Charles. Here's producer Trevor Smith with Etienne Charles' The Freedom of Carnival. Trinidad-born Etienne Charles has been a leading voice on the trumpet in the jazz scene for quite some time, backing up or arranging horns for the likes of bassist Marcus Miller, vocalist Gregory Porter, and pianist Monty Alexander. As a band leader and composer, Etienne melds the jazz tradition with Caribbean grooves, putting out records that hark to his homeland like Creole Soul, Kaizo, and Folklore. But the sounds of Carnival the all-out festival before Lent begins, have really stuck with him. My earliest memories of the first time I was exposed to all of the sounds of carnival, because once you're either on the streets or in the Savannah carnival time, specifically carnival Monday and Tuesday, you would be hearing the crack of the whips of the original job job. You'd be hearing the biscuit pines beating. You'd be hearing the screams of the devil. You'd be hearing the midnight rubber blowing his whistle. You would hear, you know, you would hear them speaking from afar loud. You would hear the knock of the steel pan. You would hear irons beating, if depending on where you were. So for me, it was a very wide cross-section of sounds of carnival that I was exposed to from a very early age. For me, it's the sound that reminds me of home because it's us at our freest and our most expressive time as a people. So it, it, it really gathers the most energy and pushes it through. Costumes, music, processions make for a feast of the senses in Trinidad and Tobago. All of that acted as inspiration for Etienne's ambitious 2019 release, Carnival, The Sound of a People, Volume 1. An incredibly visual experience translated into sound. You have to think about seeing all of that through the eyes of a child. So being overwhelmed by all that stuff as a small person, and what that does to imagination. So that has been in my head like that since I was very little. I don't feel like I wrote this music, I feel like this music just kind of came through me because I had these visuals in my head and I was just like, this could be that, this could be that. Thanks to a Guggenheim Fellowship, Etienne traveled across communities in Trinidad to collect environmental sounds for the album, incorporating them into a lush listening experience. I don't think I added the environmental sounds to my music. I would say that I added my music to the environmental sounds. So the album starts out almost exactly like the project started out, on the street in Pyramid. And we are recording these jobs they were teaching me the different rhythms, the way they know them, how the rhythms are evolved. And then we recorded two takes of them playing for six to seven minutes. And the first take of them playing is what you hear on Jab Molassi.
There's no loops. There's no edits. That's just them playing and screaming and singing. And I wrote and arranged the tune to work around them. So it's locked into the groove, bass line, all melodies are mimicking the screams, etc. So it's literally me putting my music to what they've been doing for hundreds of years now. The suite dedicates each piece to a vital element of Trinidadian Carnival, whether it's a material, a theme, or the characters played by masqueraders. Masquerader is someone in costume playing a masquerader. I think the first time I ever played, I was a sailor. And then after that, I was a devil. I was a devil covered in black. I was a Jap Malassi. I had my biscuit tin. So I remember that specifically playing Jap Malassi on the biscuit tin. Compositions embodying those roles kick off the album. First up is the character Etienne played with the biscuit tin, Jab Malassi. The folklore of Jab Malassi is that it's the vengeful spirit of a slave who met his death in the cauldron of boiling molasses. So, it, it, and that's a loaded statement, right? Because it, it tells you one about the fact that it comes from the times when the institution of, you know, African captive workers was very prevalent on the island. It also comes from the fact that the name Jab Malassi is a French Creole name, which refers to the French planter class that was settled on the island also. It refers to the fact that it was a torture technique to punish and kill truant or disobedient workers or African migrants or captives as I call them because I, I, I'm not a fan anymore of the word enslave, slavery or enslavement or you know, that type of thing simply because it was they were prisoners <laughs> you know they were imprisoned and so so that that's Jab Malassi and it, it, it portrays all of the things you think a demon would portray coming from the underground, coming from the underworld, coming out, breathing fire to represent being in the heat of hell. You know, they have a chain hanging from them, dragging on the ground. You know, basically looking like they came out of a of a shallow grave. And the chain was already, they were attached to the chain from when they were being taken to be punished. So all of these things, are they have horns on their head because that's a normal sign of someone being a jab or a... a it's, it's all of that. They scream out, and they scream out in this high shriek, kind of to represent being cold. Because feeling cold is what you would feel if you're on Earth after spending however many centuries in the underworld, where there's fire and brimstone. So you up on top now, and it's just freezing. Even though you're in the tropics, it's freezing cold. So they make this scream for that, and then the beetle on the biscuit tin. <laughs> Another character you'd see in the streets during Carnival, Dame Lorraine. Well, you see pieces of Dame Lorraine in different parts of the Caribbean where it's, it's, a, it's a man in drag. Comes from a play where the last part is these surreal characters that have these extremely magnified or over-exaggerated body parts. And the one that stuck and lasted really throughout time is this Madame Joe Rouge, which is a woman with a big bust and two pillows behind the back of the skirt. 
and when they shake it all shakes and it's, it's the paradise and all over exaggerate the body of the african woman so it, it you know it, but it goes all the way back to africa it's just a direct link from that regard and that's down the rain they always have a mask on an umbrella a hat a long dress and the character moko jumbi And Mokojambi is really about African nobility. It's about this, the folklore of Mokojambis is they have the long legs to walk across the Atlantic Ocean to come and get their brothers and sisters who have been captured. That's one of the stories. But then you see Mokojambis all over West Africa on stilts, not as high. You know, in, in, in Trinidad, you see them on really high stilts. In Africa, they're on a little bit lower stilts, like five, five foot, six foot stilts. Um, and that's, you know, for me, when I wrote that music, it was really just about the concept of looking up and seeing this, wow, something so high and putting it to a groove and putting it to this feel. And that's really what Moko Jumbi energy was about. Following the characters, Etienne dives into a part of his suite he calls Black Echoes. Echoing in these compositions are the materials of Carnival, and the reverberations of their dark colonial history, like bamboo. So bamboo came about around the late 19th century, specifically around maybe 1884, 1885, right after the Peace and Preservation Act, which was a, a ordinance, an ordinance that was passed by the colonial British government that said that no drums were allowed to be played in Trinidad. They specifically outlawed drumming, and they said that anyone who did it would be shot and they enforced this very severely at a Jose celebration. Jose is a Muslim celebration with these huge drums that they play outdoors. And they went there and pointed their guns into the crowd and started shooting at the drummers. And it's known as the Jose Massacre. And, and that's how people started paying attention to that law as being a law. So from that, they started going up into the hills, going up into quiet areas. And in the forest and trying in the bushy areas, one of the main things that you see as you're hiking on trails or whatnot is you see these big stalks of bamboo. And so they cut them, they cut them at different lengths, and they created these, what I call the first orchestra in Trinidad. The first Trinidadian orchestra is bamboo. There's a soloist that's kind of leading the charge and cutting and conducting and changing the there's a chant well that's singing and then they're playing in this groove. So that's bamboo. And from bamboo, after bamboo became the soundtrack for stick fights and everything else in carnival because it's so much softer than a drum that you can't hear it from far away.
The arrival of the automobile to the islands brought iron into the music. Because of the automobile, you have this industrial revolution, you have metal everywhere. When it was metal before, there was all this need for metal and steel and iron and brass, etc. And so that's when you see iron really start taking fold in in the iron bands in Trinidad. And but going all the way back to Africa, iron is a very important tool. It's the, it's the tool of Ogun, who was the blacksmith in Orisha. He's the he's the god of 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 war. You know, he's the god that makes the weapons and an iron is the sound of Ogul. Right? Shango is the sound of the drum. That's the god of thunder. And you have Ogul. So Trilad is really Ogul and Shango, the lands of Ogul, that land of Ogul and Shango. And so so iron coming into the sound was a natural progression. And then from the iron bands, we end up with steel. These iron bands that they started using these biscuit tins and different the oil drums. Trinidad started exporting oil, started using these 54 gallon oil drums. And it's from that, you know, Spree Simon started hearing the different notes and realizing that you could tune these drums to play chromatic notes. And between him, Ellie Manette, and a few others, that's how we ended up with a fully chromatic steel band. And that was the evolution of our sound that I tried to tell. It goes to bamboo, then it goes to iron, and then it goes to steel. No other material has defined the sound, or perhaps left Trinidad's most significant mark on the world's greater culture quite like steel. Just like most indigenous musics that come out of black communities, it's frowned upon or seen as some sort of vagabond music. When you look at jazz in America at first, when jazz came about, it was seen as this reprobate music, this music for, you know, the, the lesser class, etc. Same thing with when when rhythm and blues became a thing, same thing when rock and roll became a thing. Every time there's an evolution that's indigenous that has a black root to it, it's seen as frowned upon and told not to. And you're definitely not going to find it in an academic space, whether it's a school for children, school for teenagers, or school for adults. And at Steel Pan was the same way, right? It was, you know, because many of the bands were gangs originally. The iron bands were literally, they would clash and fight. You'd have a, a knife strapped to the steel pan. You'd have a pistol strapped to the steel pan. You have a bottle weight in the crowd on somebody's head or launch into the crowd. And these steel bands would actually choose names that invoked fear. The Night Invaders, Renegades. These they, they would come up with these names to make it sound like, yeah, we buy Johns, we coming for you. And so that's the original, but the music was always on a high level, right? And so from a musical setting, anybody that was drawn to music was drawn into it as well. Thank you.
Two days in the sun, in constant motion, can take you out for a minute. Carnival is a marathon, not a sprint. Etienne honors a very important part of the carnival process, rest, with the tune called Lullaby. carnival when you're on the road there's a moment when you have to take a little rest because it's like the sun is hot you get a little shady spot to sit on and eat some lunch or whatever and most people take a little five as we call it or you take a nap you fall asleep for a second and so that's what lullaby is about it's just about this beautiful the feeling of a breeze blowing and knocking you out for a second so it's and it's you know it slows everything down because when you have all this high pace high energy i listen back to that album I'm like man there's a lot of high energy high pace but then to bring it down, I went, I went to this lullaby, and that's where that came from. There were so many facets to Carnival, even more characters and traditions that didn't make it to Etienne's Sound of a People Volume 1. That's for Volumes 2 and 3, which he already plans on releasing in the future. But above it all, there is one element of Carnival that is essential. Etienne closes out this album with a composition celebrating it. Freedom. When I was working on this project and my, my aunt she told me that through the project, you know, Carnival has a lot of dark things that it, that it references with respect to the fact that, you know, it's about our history, colonial history. Uh, and she said, you have to make sure that through your music, you bring out the joy of Carnival. And so with that in mind, I have to remind people that at the end of the day, Carnival is our celebration of freedom. And Carnival is our freedom because we fought for it to be able to have it. Thanks to Kathleen Felder at Culture Shock Music. This Afropop close-up was made possible by a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts. But to keep the series going, we need your support. Visit afropop.org and make a donation. Every dollar counts. For Afropop Worldwide, I'm Trevor Smith.